what is up everybody welcome back to the drunk turkey show i'm daniel jane alongside with with me i'm with two buddies big blue and hyman big blue how you doing tonight my man doing good man doing good i almost didn't make it man i was i was uh catching up on my rest from the weekend overslept my alarms ah man it's all good dude i got your back i got your back i called you woke you up it was all good uh, speaking of waking up, Jaime, how's it going, my man? Uh, better, I'll tell you that. Better. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad. Uh, we got a great show. We have a great guest tonight. Uh, she is a um, gamer by nine, a licensed and board certified internist by day. She goes mm-hmm. by Wells on Twitch and TikTok. Uh, Dr. J, welcome to the Drunk Turkey Show. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great tonight. How are you awesome. guys? Another day above ground, so it's a it's another day that's uh, up in the positive uh, mark for me. Right. Uh, so um, tell us a little bit about what you do. You I, I know you have a Twitch and a TikTok goes by O Wells. Um, tell us a little bit about about your your social media accounts. Um. So mostly on Twitch, I do just gaming, some uh, IRL streams. TikTok, I've just been kind of making TikToks for friends. Um, I've been following true crime, but uh, most recently I decided to chime in with, uh, oh my God, there goes my camera again, uh, to comment on the coroner. So I found that kind of interesting. I've been following the case since probably January. Um, I had surgery, so I had like a lot of time to catch up on it. Um mm-hmm. At first, it wasn't really interesting, and then the more and more we learn about it, the more questions I have. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the and for those that don't know, this the uh, Idaho Brian Koberger case uh, involving uh, Ethan Chapman, Santa Santa Canodal, uh, Kaylee, uh, and Maddie Mogan, uh, Kaylee Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, this was a case that occurred November 13, twenty two. Kind of took the nation by storm. Um, you know, mystery behind it. There was somebody who was on the loose and then there's an arrest and there's been a lot of questions uh, whether or not the police and law enforcement have gotten the right guy. Um, wh- where do you stand on that before we get into everything? You, do you think the police got the right guy or dealing towards there's more to this story? So honestly, I, I think there's a lot more to the story. I, I, at this point, with the evidence that we've seen, which isn't much because of the gag order, there, mm-hmm. I, I, if I was on the jury, I could not for sure convict him. Right. No. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, so what, what, um, what interested you about the Brian Koberger case initially? I know you said that it was, uh, it wasn't interesting, and then as it, it, it kind of went along, it started to interest you. What was it about the case that interested you? I think all the conspiracy theories, <laughs> really, <laughs> because there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But just the way the police began, Ellie began handling the case, it just seems very strange to me. It's kind of unlike any other case that I've seen before. Yeah, right. So. I agree. I agree. I mean, the way it started off with the law enforcement going in there and, you know, like we said before, not having protective gear. Um, it's, it almost seems like it was like uh, a crime scene in the 70s, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, like the the fact that there's pictures out there of officers inside that house without booties, without gloves, um, shortly after the incident occurred, uh, is is mind boggling to be honest with you. Um, so, from your standpoint, from a medical standpoint, is there? I know you'd put out some questions about the coroner. Can can we go mm-hmm. into that? What what about the coroner where? Uh, made you comfortable, uncomfortable? Did you like or dislike? We'll, we'll start off there. Was it, you know? So why I began, and first, when I first saw the coroner, because she was putting out all, I watched all the documentaries, and then she was doing a lot of interviews early on, and then I think somebody just told her to stop talking. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing that kind of really well first of all she's also an attorney so at first i thought you know this has got to be the most ambitious women woman in the world um, because she's gone to medical school and law school and then i found out she really did not go to medical school because she wasn't she's not a physician um Mm -hmm. so that was quite interesting to me because from my area we don't have coroners that are not physicians. We have medical examiners. Um, So that was, you know, quite the surprise for me. And what really, her interviews just, just, I don't know what to say about them. Mm -hmm. Fact that she said, you know, that she did not go to the scene until five or five thirty. She she got the call afternoon um, and didn't go to the scene for five and a half hours because, quote, law enforcement was doing their investigation and they Mm -hmm. were going in. And her exact words, she said, you know, Ellie goes in, they collect evidence take pictures and video and they start talking to people. And I don't really need to be there for that. And I was just like dumbfounded by that statement. I'm like, what do you mean you don't need to be there for that? Like we just had a quadruple murder occur Mm -hmm. and you're not going to go to the scene for five and a half hours. Right. So where, go ahead. Well, I I think we know that the lead investigator wasn't there until about four o'clock. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to why it took the lead investigator to get there so long. And, you know, we found out through you know, our conversation with with Christy, uh, Kaylee's mom, and with uh, the ABC podcast that um, Jack DeCore was picked up uh, fairly early on and was being questioned early on in this investigation. I don't know who was where or who was what or who investigated who or who spoke to who. That information wasn't given to me. Uh, However, uh, I would suspect that your lead investigator more than likely was talking to your probably lead suspect at the time. Right. You know, you're you're looking at this situation, you know, day one, you have um, a crime scene where uh, we find out later that, you know, on the surface, it appears that one one victim had more, you know, uh, injuries or severe injuries compared to the others. That person happens to be out of the relationship, you know, maybe a month or so old, right? Maybe two months, you know, uh, out of this relationship. That person is moving and the person, um, you know, her ex-boyfriend lives down the street and was with her at the, um, at the corner club the night before the incident. So, 
all those things together can kind of, you know, point in that direction. In fact, I think the uh, uh, the mayor had came out fairly early in this investigation saying that he thought it was a, a crime of passion. And so, um, you know, I, I think they he backed it. He walked it back the next day and said it could have been that could have been a burglary. It could have been a lot of things. But um, I, I strongly suspect that maybe perhaps that was the case. I don't know if the coroner would would have to wait for the lead investigator to get there and do um, their aspect. I, I honestly don't remember. Um, and, and I also, I mean, cause I, I I've been to a couple of scenes um, that were um, a result of um, a homicide and or a uh, person's life being taken. However, um, my involvement in those scenes was minimum. I was just an officer. I wasn't an investigator or any of those things. So, and, and this was well over 10 years ago, and there weren't very many of those occasions. So <laughs> I honestly don't remember, you know, if the coroner, I don't think so. Cause I remember one scene where we got there and, and cause it doesn't have to be necessarily a corner that goes in, I believe it's called an inquest or where I'm coming from in Texas. And uh, that's where the, where the bodies are pronounced and the manner is presumed. Correct. And um, we've had that situation where we had a situation where there was a guy who had passed um, on his couch a young man. He was about, 25 24 at the time and what had a, there was just some weird stuff that went about it so he was on his couch face down with his face over his arm and he had been intoxicated and so he uh suffocated however the suspicious circumstances were um he was thrown in the yard at two o'clock in the morning and this the this guy's dad had seen um them throw him in the yard, like these people throw him in the yard. He yelled at them. They, they apparently they were his friends. Um, his friends got off of the car, picked him up, put him in the house, and laid him down. And they just laid him down the wrong way. But you know, we didn't know that they were his friends. Um, this man's father was elderly, and so he didn't know who those friends were. Uh, well, anyways, we had to do our investigation first and took pictures and all those things before. Mm-hmm. The magistrate got there. So uh, I'm not sure if that's too, you know, <laughs> long story short, uh, um, I'm not sure if that's too suspicious. But wh- why do you think that's suspicious, her, her arrival so late? So um, I don't think that's suspicious. But to say that we have this quadruple murder, right? And we're relying uh-huh. on cell phone data, basically, um, and witness testimony as to when this crime occurred. But scientifically, we have no idea because she was not there, you know, as soon as possible. The earlier you arrive at the scene, um, either coroner, medical examiner, the more accurate of a time of death you can get. Mm. Arriving at 530, you know, that's allegedly if these murders occurred at 4 o'clock, 4 a.m., uh, it's almost, you know, more than 12 hours after. So mm-hmm. you lose a lot of data. Um, the sooner you get there, the sooner we can determine time of death medically. Because gotcha. there's so much that can be done at autopsy, you know, stomach contents, um, 
cellular changes, blood cells and things we can look at. But after 12 hours plus, that's really not going to be very good at all. And she even said herself, you know, in the interview, do we do we know how long the time of death um, between the time of death and when Ellie arrived? She said, no, I don't know. Right. Was it hours? Was it days? The interviewer asked her and she said, I have no idea. Um, so well, that's that's the that's the problem I have is like, yeah, you know, if Dylan was, you know, all these kids were partying that night. So she was inebriated. She she thinks that it might have been four o'clock. It might have been three o'clock. It might have been two o'clock. Does that really matter? I don't know. You know, it could have been 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But I've fallen asleep watching TikTok like last night. I just fell asleep watching a live. I woke up to dancing Chinese ladies. So like <laughs> my my cell phone was active on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the, the coroner uh, said it. It could have been as early as two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think there's there's a little bit more to kind of determine the the exact the exact time. You also have the audio from the ring. You also have the footage of the car acting a little bit suspicious around the time that that audio occurred. Now, you you, you mentioned something um, about you know the time frame. Uh, we it was believed that at four a.m. that Zana had. Um, gotten a DoorDash delivery mm -hmm. would her if the incident occurred you know between 404 and 420 um, as suspected and she consumed something at four o'clock would that still be um, would those uh, that content in her stomach still be there 12 13 hours later no okay interesting Interesting. Oh man. Well, yeah, because I thought that maybe perhaps that was one way they can tell the time mm -hmm. of uh, of death by the stomach content and the, uh, you know, how much right. it had deteriorated in their in their mm -hmm. in their stomach. Um, you know, another question that that a lot of folks have is that there was a, a lack of like, well, to our knowledge, there's a lack of screams and things of that nature. Uh, the audio says that there's whimpering cries, a thud you know, dog barking, but doesn't indicate any kind of scream or anything like that. Um, in your, um, you know, from your medical uh, point of view, are there injuries that can occur uh, that are quickly, could be quickly done so that a person couldn't scream? Sure, definitely. I mean, if you do any kind of incision, vocal cords, that would certainly be the case. Um, but that's another kind of question I had because she also said, you know, the toxicology results weren't going to be relevant. Um, I think what she meant by that, I'm, I'm thinking, I was trying to say, you know, why would she say that? I'm wondering if she meant that they weren't going to be relevant, like the, the, the kids didn't overdose, but I think they would be completely relevant if you know, they had been drugged or something like that where they couldn't react. Because if you're going to convince me that this one scrawny guy came in and killed four people and nobody was screaming, nobody ran out. Um, yeah, that's just, I don't know. I don't think I'm convinced about that. Yeah. Um, 
one thing I would always say is like they must have heard somebody screaming or the thuds or you know um when he's saying uh, when they when I guess didn't hear him say that I'm here to help you um she so she did hear something mm-hmm. so I wonder how much she was like either if she drank that night incapacitated to understanding what was going on so I don't know mm-hmm. I mean it was four in the morning if if she drank till about two right let's just say that everybody got home at 145 according to the probable cause affidavit so they would have and let's just assume that they didn't consume any alcohol from the moment that they got home um and let's assume that there's a 10 minute grace period there so uh, you're looking at about two and a half hours if somebody was you know drunk you know somewhere around point point one six which is twice the legal limit in a in a two hour span in a two and a half hour span uh, do you think they would still be intoxicated? Uh, if it was within that two hours, yeah. Yeah, you think they'd still be well over the point of weight, uh, mm-hmm. two and a half hours after, if they were at double? Okay. If they were because at we, a double, I, I'd say they'd be right at, you know, right at point of weight, most likely. Got you. Got you. So, yeah, it's, it's good to know more or less or, or to understand that aspect, in my opinion um you know her state of mind i know that's going to come into question uh, as far as um you know her testimony uh when it comes to the uh the description of the injuries um a lot of people have questioned um you know multiple weapons and things of that nature have, have you ever seen um a, a stabbing or a knife in, in your profession i have mm-hmm. Okay. Have you seen a single knife make multiple wounds? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when she describes that, you know, tears, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, rips and things of that nature, do you, do you do you feel that you understand what she's trying to to explain? I do. Um, I think she's. If you are a perpetrator. And it kind of sounds like they were in this kind of white rage, just going crazy, stabbing, you know, and then you're not, you're not making incisions, right? You're just kind of trying to get the act done. Um, Right. So you don't have control, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Gotcha. And and so those type of, um, wild swings mm-hmm. would create different type of wounds uh, th- th- that would kind of lead us at lead me to believe that this was probably somebody who wasn't well trained mm-hmm. right and, you know you would assume that if it was somebody who was trained uh perhaps somebody i know a lot of people look at oh man it had to have been somebody who had military experience things mm-hmm. like that i think that in those type of situations you would expect probably cleaner um wounds and strikes correct or if it was you know a crime of passion that would that would change also. that's true that's true mm-hmm. that's true uh, big blue hymen do you have any questions uh yeah i was gonna ask do you think um the corner itself do you think uh for because it's a, such a small town 
you think mm -hmm. she lacks experience? That's why she um, came out like that and said all this stuff? So I guess this was her third multiple homicide. I don't know. And this is another question that I had about the town because I think the they, I looked up the population mm. and it was like 25,000. And some people said that also includes the university students. But I don't know if that's the case. I'm not really sure on that, that one. Because I live in a small town of less than 6,000 people. So it's like, yeah. that's, that's that's a small town to me. But yeah, that's she's been doing this job for 14 years. I don't know how much press yeah. she's done in other cases. I think they did not expect this case to be as high profile as it was. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I mean, she's been under since 2006, I believe. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was thinking. Was like maybe because of the fact that, you know, there's... No, it's, there's not as much crime as it is in bigger cities. That she just have that, you know, that experience mm -hmm. doing these type of cases. Yeah, and the the other thing is she can't, as a registered nurse, she can't do some of the tests that she could do as a medical examiner. Mm -hmm. um, as far as you know, internal body temperatures and things like that, which you know, at five thirty, really, I I don't think would be. Um, would make a difference. Well, well, maybe actually, may, maybe it would, because if you're thinking that the the body cools about 1.5 degrees per hour, uh, it's still good, you know. But uh, yeah, she wouldn't be taking liver temps or or brain temps or anything like that. Maybe a rectal temperature to determine the time of death. What would would the the AC or the heater? inside the home affect that it could yeah and especially if the door was left open i guess there was also um but you have to think it it even with the ac and the heat and the door being open you don't have you know circulating air like you would in an outside crime scene so mm -hmm. they have that going for them so I, I researched it the population is about twenty six thousand six hundred and thirty six which of 23,110 are students. Oh, wow. So that does include the university. Yeah, yeah. And so mm. uh, the folks that do reside there are from there. It does seem like a small town, but it's definitely made up of majority. I mean, it's it's a difference of like 3,000 people. Uh, mm. $5 super chat from Moto Man MX. What are the chances they are wrong about the time of, of the passing? Uh, you know, I think there's more to it than just like what you can get from the medical examiner or from the medical report to determine those things. Um, you know, you, you have the statement in the forensic download from one of the victims, you know, four in the morning. My assumption is that they were probably asleep. And if Dylan was, um, you know, what she was saying was true. Um, if her phone was not active because she was asleep and at four in the morning, she is awoken because she hears what she thinks is Kaylee playing with the dog. She might check her phone. And so during the conversation with law enforcement, it could have easily have been as like, you know, I heard Kaylee playing with the dog or what I thought was Kaylee playing with the dog. It was four around four o'clock in the morning. I checked my phone. And so they have that statement and then they go and check the forensic download and see that it was activated mm -hmm. from a sleep mode at 404, 405. And boom, they corroborate uh, that information, put it together. Right. So you have that. You also have the surveillance of this white vehicle 
Yeah, the white vehicle. You have the uh, DoorDash delivery. You have the surveillance. You also have the audio from the ring video and, you know, from 50 feet away. So all of those things, in my opinion, make a pretty strong case that this incident occurred uh, between that time. Does that make sense? Xana on TikTok to like four something. They do have her on TikTok to four something or at 412. But um, I mean... And that's the thing. It's it's it's. There's a lot in this case that's not being spoken about, and I think it's because of the probable cause. I mean, the the gag order. But if you go and look at the Rex Humerman case, there's not a lot of people that are arguing in Rex's favor. There are some. I've actually seen it. There are some, but um, there's not very many. And um, what do you call it? Um, I, I think a lot has to do with the fact that you know searches have been released, information has been released evidence that has been collected has been released they talk about where and when and how they you know got the hair those type of things uh thank you tuesday for your 20 dollars super chat we appreciate you um do you, what do, what about you guys what do you guys think do you think that there are there is any chance that the time of death could be wrong we're going around circle we'll start off with you dr j um yeah, I mean, definitely. We saw that in the Murdoch case um, where they did do a lot of the forensics on the, her cell phone, on the wife's cell phone, where, you know, the, the screen was locked, unlocked. She took it so many steps and they used that at his trial. So that could definitely be used to corroborate Dylan's statements. Um, initially, they did have a different estimated time of death. I think it was Mm -hmm. two to three initially. Um, But, you know, the more data that they looked at, I guess, then that led them to the 4 a.m. time. How long how long do you think it would have been that they would have came out with that first indication of the time of death? How how fast would that be? And would that would that indication be on the uh, death certificate? So on the death certificate, so there's a lot, there's a three different times of death. Um, So what goes on the death certificate is basically when the LE arrived and there was no signs of life. So that is the legal time of death. Um, You also have the physiologic time of death. So that's when you actually all vital function ceases, you know, heart, lung sounds, nothing. So that, but we don't know. So unless you witness somebody dying, um, we, we don't know what that is. I mean, in the hospital setting, if somebody's failing and you have the doctor there and they're running a code, then we, we know what the physiologic time of death is. But in, in this case, we have no idea. And then we have the estimated time of death, which is what we can do with, um, you know, at the scene, uh, documenting the state of the bodies, looking at rigor, looking at a lividity and, you know, from the autopsy. But the legal time of death that goes on the death certificate is when you first discover the body because that's the legal time of death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, no. that that's most likely going to be noon, even though we suspect right. that this occurred, you know, 4 a.m. Right. 
No, I got you. I got you. The reason I ask is because, you know, I, I, I've talked to, to, to Chris Gonzalez and, you know, the time of when the passing has had, had come up and, you know, they, they gave me a couple of times that they were told, um, the the earliest I think was like three thirty. The time frame was three thirty to five or something like that. And I think that was what she had mentioned was written on the uh, on the death certificate as estimated time of mm-hmm. passing. Uh, but you know, they hadn't seen anything, to my knowledge, or from you know our conversation with her. Uh, the, you know, whether it was from police or or anyone else um, prior to three thirty. And so. Um, that was from, I guess, from the beginning. But yeah, no, I was just kind of curious if, if that three thirty time frame that they were told, if that would have been from, uh, if, if that since that was like, uh, I guess, on the death certificate, um, if that was something that was was the first time that they thought, you know, I, I assume that, you know, as the investigation goes on, they can narrow it down. You know, and, and they have they narrowed it down mm-hmm. between like about four and four twenty five. But, you know, initially they said three thirty to five or something like that. So, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Uh, Big Blue, you got any questions? No, I, I think they do that just to to give themselves a, a leniency uh, until they get more information in to be able to give a more an accurate calculation. But and then, the, you know, they all didn't pass at the same time. They all have, you know. They had definitely had a. They started up upstairs and they went down to the to the second floor. So of course, some are going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, a couple minutes apart. Yeah, that's why I guess they yeah. estimate so long. Um, Hyman, what about yourself, my man? I, I think I think it's the 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 estimate time that they passed away. Is, um, you know, I think it's right. Um, I know. Um, you said that uh, if she would have got there, oh, she said it was. It took her like what five hours to get there, right? right. Something like that. Yeah. Um, would that that would have made a big difference, right? To to know exactly what time it, it would have been, right, or a better estimate, right? I think that would have given us a lot more evidence to use at trial. Mm. You know, the more the more things that we can throw at. You know, the suspect at the trial, the better. Yeah. I was going to ask, there's a lot of people who are asking um, that uh, the DoorDash, right? Uh, I'm not really sure how DoorDash works. Do, do you have to, like, you, can you pay cash when you receive the food or, or you have to pay online? I don't, I don't know if that, if you know, um, any, any of you know that. You could pay online. And most of the time, I just get it dropped off at the front door. I don't even see the people. Yeah. Um, if she had okay. eaten the food, we could use the rate of digestion. Usually within three hours, you know, everything would be digested. So if she had passed yeah. within the three hours. Um, we know that uh, Kaylee and Maddie had eaten at the grub truck. Um, so perhaps. What was What's going on? Did I? Oh, all my son sound went out. Am I frozen? Am I frozen to you? Uh, no. <laughs> we all <laughs> crashing. Yeah, everybody. I think Streamyards. We've been having trouble with Streamyard for the past couple of oh, weeks. Oh, power went out. 
Yeah, so okay. well, that makes sense. But I mean, Blue would not. Oh, wait. Well, you live by. Yeah, you live over no, there. No, I, I jumped off real quick. So I was. I that was. The door. Oh, be that, was loud, so. that was perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> she opened the door real quick and I didn't have time to put mute. So I hit the remove real quick. Well, I think we got this uh, super chat earlier. Uh, well, I think we answered a while before you even put up there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and I it. just yeah, I just answered it. If um yeah. you know within three hours all that would have been gone. Um, what do you guys think about oh this is this is actually what I was just gonna ask about the DNA at the house. Um the you know the the lack of DNA of the victims in his car, yeah. vehicle, home, you know, do we think he went in and he was like this Dexter mastermind where he left one bit of DNA on the knife sheath, which we don't even know that was the, the murder weapon. Everybody's focusing on this sheath, but they've never come out and said, you know, we suspect yeah. that this is the murder weapon. Yeah, exactly. I, I will, the lack of DNA in the car and at the scene, I would understand if it was made with a, you know, with a, with a, with a gun, with a firearm, mm -hmm. but not with a, with a you know with a knife i wouldn't i wouldn't expect i would expect to have see more um evidence or you know dna in the car yeah i made one joke about one congressman with a bandana <laughs> in <the game>. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back Danny. welcome back <laughs> thank you thank you i don't know all of a sudden like the power it, it didn't like completely go out it just like dimmed but then it my glitched. internet went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, "What?" And so it just glitched for a second and didn't really go go out completely. Completely, maybe I'm <laughs> I'm drawing too much some, power. Some or power surges right now, man. It's it's hot as heck out there, and uh, my I know my my computer is saying fire fire weather or something like that. I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah, yeah. No, that was it's it was pretty damn crazy. hot, bro. Yeah, it's, I know. Big blue, you gotta turn down the heat. Well, anyways, <laughs> so uh, I caught the last bit of that. You were asking about the DNA in the car. You know, right. for, for me, I think it, it boils down to the preparation, right? I think that um, when you, when you, you know, there's a victimology, right, where you create a profile for the victim, but you also create a profile for the suspect once you have one. And this guy is well-versed in forensics and, and knowledge of how, um, a crime is going to be uh, investigated. I mean, if you look at, for instance, um, his path of travel after the incident, right? He took he he went to uh, from Moscow to Pullman in a in a big loop that took over or roughly about an hour instead of traveling straight through, which would have, you know, been about a ten maybe fifteen minute drive. And you know, a lot of people question why do that? Why do that? And the reason why. It's because he knows that law enforcement is going to look at cameras going into Pullman from that direction 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes after the crime. Because they're going to assume that whoever committed this crime is going to head to their destination very quickly to try to get as far as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to be looking at you know, cameras in Pullman, Washington an hour after the incident. It wouldn't make any sense. And so he went into that much detail. That tells me that he probably, if he did commit this crime, um, probably went to a very 
you know, high extent to make sure that uh, he wasn't going to get DNA in his vehicle. And, you know, we had on a um, medical legal forensic death investigator who had a master's in forensics. And, and, and she kind of explained to us that there was some, there is certain stain removers that, you know, if you're in the know or if you're familiar with forensics, you know, that would help you clean up DNA without it shining bright like a diamond under luminol. And so um, those type of things are what make me think, all right, there's this possibility that that this guy may have done it. And, and you know, given the fact that he would have the know-how on the forensics, could clean up and or prepare to have you know, not left anything behind. You know, so that's kind of where I feel on that. Um, Helen Kirby with a $5 super check. Can you please give us your procedure as what you would do first? L.E., I would do this second and then third. Um, as far as what? Uh, uh, the crime scene? Like uh, processing the crime scene? So if you were if you were the coroner, which I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you have experience in, in doing, um, or, or if you know anybody, it, you know, you get called in for a, a, mm-hmm. a crime of this nature. Uh, you arrive on scene. Do you enter uh, through, you know, the front door? Do you enter through where you, you know, law enforcement suspect that the person who committed this crime entered? And uh, do you go in chronological order? What What are the What would it, What would it be? So that's not uh, that I am not completely sure about. Obviously, you don't want to contaminate the scene. So I do understand and and the, the coroner would have experience with that i've had um i've pronounced ton of people and before uh-huh. covid i was still doing house calls um because right now i have been in private practice for about six and a half years um almost oh, nice. seven so i i do go to homes to pronounce people and things like that so um obviously you want to avoid cross-contamination and you want to document the body, uh, photograph the body, and then you just perform a physical exam. You, the way you would on a on a an alive person, top to bottom, um, head to toe, always doing it the same way for consistency. Like when I'm examining somebody, I just like autopilot basically because I always do everything the same way. Um, and the goal would be to just the manner, right? Not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, the how it happened, just if whether or not it was self-inflicted, if it was accidental, natural causes, correct? Right, right. But And then you're also looking at things, like I said, rigor, lividity, um, the progress of lividity, because it does work in stages. Um, you also would want to collect any kind of evidence, Um for instance, look for things like semen that you, and that would be collected at that at that time because that is a very fragile um, specimen. So it would likely mm-hmm. not make it uh, externally, obviously, not any kind of internal exam. But um, right. And then, so would the um, the process of the hands being bagged? Mm-hmm. Uh, would that happen? Would that already have happened? 
Uh, by the time the coroner gets there, is that something that happens? Well, the, the coroner should be the only person that's in charge of touching the body. So the the police investigators, they would probably do the, the videos and the photograph, but the, nobody should be moving the body until she arrives. Duh. Which is another thing that I found very strange because from what we've known about the placement of the bodies, there's, you know, first it was Ethan in the hallway, then it was Zana in the doorway. Somebody was, um, somebody was up against the door. So we don't really know. This is all speculation, but that is another thing that I find strange. Are they walking around or, you know, over these people? Um, before she got there for five and a half hours, it's just these are just things that I think about. Is the coroner also in charge of the clipping the nails? All that? Uh, that might not be done until autopsy, so mm. the, it would be done by the medical examiner, okay. and that's why the bags to preserve any yeah. kind of you know DNA evidence under the nails. So in in general not, not not necessarily you know idaho just speaking in general when you have a situation where there's a homicide and the coroners come in you know they've bagged a body or the hands the bodies are then bagged ready to get transport they would go then where would they go to to a morgue mm -hmm. and um who would who would process the body for forensics for instance um would anybody like check for the hairs or anything you know, anywhere else, but who would process? Is that the yeah. responsibility of the medical professions or is that the responsibility of the uh, CSI? It should be the medical examiner. And again, Idaho does things a little bit differently, but uh, I would imagine it would be done by their medical examiner in Spokane. Got you. Got you. That makes sense. That makes sense. And um, there was in so there was a, uh, in the probable cause affidavit, it states there that um, a couple of things. One, um, it states that it talks about all the victim's injuries except for Ethan's. Mm -hmm. It states on Ethan's part that his injuries were determined by, you know, at autopsy at this date later in Spokane. What did you think about that aspect of it? I'm going to try to pull it up so I can get the uh, the, the proper wording for it. Um but did you do you know what I'm talking about? Um, that I didn't hear. So if you could pull that up, that would be great. Yeah, I'll pull that up. Um, I just see the super chat from Glenna. So she signed the death certificate or the death report at noon, um, but then she didn't go until five thirty. So that is that legal time of death that I was talking about. So the the time that law enforcement arrived, there was no signs of life. That's the legal time of death that goes on the death certificate. Oh, thank you, uh, Glenna, for your $5 super chat. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let me pull up this probable cause affidavit real quick. So I had a quick question uh, for all of us. What, what, do you, what is your percentage of guilty or not guilty in this case? You know, I think I'm about 50-50. Oh, okay. You know, a lot of people are, and I think that's fair. You know, we don't have all the evidence uh, to determine one way or another. So 
here's what it says. It says also in the room was a male later identified as Ethan Chapman. Uh, Chapman was deceased with wounds later determined. Autopsy report provided by Spokane County Medical Examiner. And then it's, it's redacted, dated December 15th. So over a month later um, by sharp force injuries. Like, Can you go up a little bit? DC? Okay. So I'm wondering if... So this is another interesting thing that I think would happen at the autopsy. Perhaps you you need to, hmm, how can I phrase this? So when you're investigating a death and doing an autopsy, we need to determine what the cause of death was. So perhaps he had other injuries. For instance, you know, there's been cases where somebody was shot and then later the body was um, stabbed to try to conceal that injury mm. um, and to and the, the actual cause of death was the shot. So perhaps I'm, I'm this is what I'm thinking that Ethan had other injuries, whether it was blunt force trauma, perhaps um, hmm. to subdue him. Um uh, but they did determine that those he did not pass from those types of injuries and that the um, sharp force trauma was the cause of death. So this tells you that from the scene that there was at least some sort of confusion as to the manner. That's what I'm I'm thinking, because the, that's very strange that they would, you know, specifically state that. Yeah, and he's the only one. You know, the rest mm -hmm. they, they 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 don't. I, I had a theory, and, and I'm wondering if maybe perhaps this could go along with it. So we we talked to to Christy, and she had mentioned that she talked to Ethan's best friend, who is supposedly the uh, the person who is allegedly the that made the 911 call, and he had made the the statement that uh, to to the family that. Um, he couldn't get through the door because Ethan's body was blocking the door. Mm -hmm. That's where that comes from. You know, probable cause affidavit. Um, from what I understand, the door is open because uh, Officer Smith can see Zana's body in the doorway. Mm -hmm. So is it possible that they had to move Ethan's body or because they had to move Ethan's body that they had to get uh you know, this worded because it wasn't in the original place when law enforcement arrived? Um, no, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that because they said later identified as Ethan and then they said wounds later determined. So that, that says to me that it wasn't really about the obviously he was moved we know that because from what we've heard from the surviving roommates and and um his best friend i think was the one who found him so um, yeah. but the, about the wounds that's what i'm thinking that that is specifically goes to the wounds he had received so maybe since he was the the only male they he had some kind of blunt force trauma to his head maybe to subdue him um, mm. that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking that he must have had other wounds and that makes sense. That would make sense. What about the fact that it, it took over a month later? Is that common for, 
an autopsy to occur over a month after the incident? Um, well, or do you think had, this is... I think he had two autopsies. So did you ever mm -hmm. verify that? Because I've heard that, but I've never... I've heard that too, but I, I've not not been able to verify that anywhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google search it. Mm -hmm. But what what well I mean, what are some reasons in your opinion somebody would want a second autopsy in a case like this? I think can't the families ask for one and pay for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can. But then in the, in the affidavit, it also says that it was the same. You would think that if, if they were doing a secondary autopsy, it wouldn't be done at the same place they'd be using. Um, that would be my my guess. It's true. But it also you would think stated that it Spokane. Mm -hmm. Let me see. Because there was a time where there was a moment, you got to take this with a grain of salt, um, Chief Fried came out and said that the autopsies were completed and they were going through it. And that was like a week or two after the incident. And so, you know, maybe perhaps some of the autopsies were, were completed and he overspoke. Um, you know, this is a small area. Uh, these bodies would have had to have possibly been transported to Spokane. Uh, mm -hmm. In those type of scenarios, do you, do you think maybe it just took that long for it to happen? Have you ever seen a situation like that? No. Like, I don't, I don't think it would take that long. That's quite strange. Like two weeks ago, I was actually talking with one of the medical examiners and he's like, oh yeah, hold on. I'm like actually in the middle of an autopsy. So I'm like, are you talking to me on speakerphone? Like, do your thing. Don't pick up the phone. <laughs> so, I mean, these things get done in like one day. It wouldn't be like a month later. And I can't imagine that they, this, this would probably take priority. That's what I would have thought, too. That's what I would have thought, too. Because um, you want to conserve, you know, as much evidence and possible DNA as, as um, you know, possible. So would the processing of anything underneath the fingernails happen after the autopsy? Well, it would be collected at the time of the autopsy. Yeah, so they normally take all the fingernails during the autopsy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So they would have definitely wanted this information well before December 15th. Mm -hmm. I wonder why they did that. It's interesting. That's interesting. So have you ever um, been a, a witness an autopsy yourself? I have. Mm -hmm. Have you ever witnessed one where um, there was a, a police involved? Or, or present or the police presence no yeah gotcha gotcha um when when an autopsy is 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 done is it always recorded um video no no not necessarily it's audio, audio. Um, pictures are taken um but not necessarily you know video okay so when the um the defense asks for body cam footage that's not usually Mm -hmm. done in an autopsy correct no okay well, that's good to know that's good to know at least um, not standard yeah i've never heard of a situation where 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 that would happen um how long does it take for a toxology to come back you know i'm actually surprised at how long it takes for these things to get released um mm -hmm. 
And it seems like any kind of high profile case, uh, it takes them months, like six months for some reason. Whereas I, I don't know why it takes them that long to release the information because you can get those things back in a few hours. Um, but I don't know if it just, they don't want to release it to the public as quickly. No, yeah. Well, I understand. I understand. Guys, do you have any questions uh, for Dr. J before we uh, call it a show? We're getting close to that one hour mark. We'll start off with you, Big Blue. <laughs> you know, is there any time you want to go first? No. Um, so, in the, in the medic medicine that you practice, is there um, something that you wanted to do other than this, the internal medicine, or is it something that you fell into, or did you want to be an orthoped orthopedic, or, or what, what practice did you want to specialize in? Um, this has always been kind of my end goal, private practice, because I love, I love my patients. I love, and we're adult practice, but I, I still have, you know, the, the kids, the parents, the, the grand, grandparents, you know, every, the whole family are my patients. So I love that part of it. Um, yeah. I love getting to know them. You know, when I worked at the hospital, you see these people maybe for three days and then you never see them again. Yeah. Um, but it's really, it's really great when you get to know your patients and then, you know, you can spot things that are wrong with them just, just by looking at them because it's not their norm. Yeah. So, so you, you, you do Twitch as well and you got into gaming. How, how long have you been doing that for? uh twitch about three years maybe gaming i've been gaming forever <laughs> i was gaming in medical school <laughs> that is awesome so you, is there oh go ahead blue i'm saying you're an xbox or ps5 uh i was an xbox but now i'm into pc I, oh, nice. I, I built my pc about two years ago and i actually need to put in a new um graphics card and processor that it's been sitting next to it for months <laughs> that's awesome what made you start uh start streaming what got you into streaming i don't know just kind of felt like it was gonna be fun to do all my friends stream and yeah we have a good time so i think a lot some, of people we have some funny moments yeah, a lot of people jumped on it during the pandemic because it was something to do because you were all separated and you could still hang out with your friends and still talk and still do videos. Yeah, that was I, I'm ready for my quarantine. I would I volunteer. I worked through the pandemic. We actually had a COVID clinic. So um, we did all of our patients virtually like via Zoom like this. And then we just we had a COVID clinic that we only saw sick people. So yeah it, it was rough yeah I, I i worked throughout the whole pandemic too and for a while we were the only uh private practice that was doing the testing that it wasn't through the county so mm -hmm. i mean we'd do you know 200 300 tests per location a day and it was busy 
you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little quick story about how I can when I figured out that I got the uh, the C19. I um, <laughs> me and the uh, me and the wife we went over to uh, T-Mobile uh, at the time. That's who we had as our phone provider, and um, we had Love. just came in from from Colorado, and you know we went to the T-Mobile because we we're having some problems with our service or whatever, and we were there for like four hours and I, I i was having a difficult time breathing through my mask i had to keep going in and out in and out in and out and um long story short we finally leave there we go to the uh the walmart right uh we get into the walmart and there's these there's this limited edition limited supply apple pie kit kats and i'm like oh hell yeah man i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna take these right so I, I i buy them we get to the car open them up Boom, take a bite. And I'm like, and these taste like normal Kit Kat, right? And so so my wife goes, let me try it. And she, says, she takes a bite. She's like, oh, man, this tastes like shit. And I was like, wait, let me let me try that again. Let me try it again. And so I, I take a bite out of it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I actually taste it. I just, I just feel the texture of it. And I was like, no. And sure enough, I figured it out. You know, two days later, went in, got a test, came out positive. And they stopped making those Kit Kats. So to this day, I have no idea what they taste like. <laughs> I had it four times, man. Oh, Damn, wow. dude. <laughs> yeah, I had it four times, but uh, unfortunately, I'm everywhere. So especially there at work, you know, meeting, getting to know people from coming out of town and stuff, you get sick, man. So it's kind of brutal. Mm-hmm. Well, it was yeah. anymore. I think my I mean, body's like, all right, man, that's, that's enough, dude. <laughs> well, you would have think with you know being in a warehouse at 118 degrees that it would have baked it out, <laughs> right? No, like, apparently not. It's just incubated it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's why now uh, I got a beard, so I can just go like this. use it as a mask. <laughs> use it as a mask, my man. Use it as a mask. Uh, well, thank you so much, um, Doctor J. We appreciate you coming on. I have linked uh, your Twitch and your TikTok in the uh, description. Um, when do you plan on going live streaming again on, on your Twitch? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I usually stream every night around seven. Um, things have gotten a little hinky in the schedule, but probably on Sunday will be the next stream. Nice. nice. It's, uh, she goes under, oh, oh, wells. Go oh, wells her. one for some reason. Somebody is, oh, wells. The, the imposter. Oh, man. There's an <laughs> imposter. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you go follow Owells1 on Twitch, also on TikTok. Those links are in the description. And uh, without further ado, y'all, I'm going to leave you guys with our little commercial that we do all the time. Thank referencing you. Our, Thank you our for raffle. having me. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for coming on. You know, oh, yeah. I wanted to remind everybody tomorrow night we're going to have a special live. We're going we're gonna to be going live with Jewels of All Trades. Um, we're going to talk about Brian Coburn, the case. Uh, she has some questions about WSU Kim for us. So we'll be talking about all those things tomorrow night. Make sure you catch it. Mm-hmm. Hit that like and subscribe button. Ring that notification bell. You know what to do. Peace out. This is our little Frenchie Nelson. Nelson was the runt of his uh, litter. And unfortunately, he was diagnosed with IVDD, which resulted in him losing the ability to move his rear legs. Now, we were left with a couple of options, one being put Nelson down or two, go through a costly 
uh, surgery, which wasn't guaranteed to work. We gave Nelson that chance and we went through the surgery. And fortunately today he can walk and, and he's not 100%, but he's getting there you know, through rehab and continual rehab. We think he may. Those bills are extensive and continuous and efforts to lower the 